My name is Kate Chesterman. I'm a GP in South Norfolk, and I also co-host the GP Notebook Education Study Groups. Welcome to GP Notebook Podcasts, where we present bite-sized topics aimed at all those working in primary care. You can find us on all major podcast channels, including Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at GP Notebook, or you can follow me personally at Chesterman Kate for more information about our new podcasts and study groups as they become available. Please do visit gpnotebookpodcast.com for show notes, references and resources for all our podcasts. Finally, you can also visit gpnotebookeducation.com to learn more about our upcoming GP Notebook study groups and download free resources such as our series of shortcuts. Today I'm going to be discussing childhood constipation and I'm very grateful for the helpful article in the BMJ that was published in 2021 on this topic, as well as the NICE guideline and the excellent resources that are available on the ERIC website. I have listed these in the show notes for this podcast. So let's start with a case study. Charlie has just turned three and is potty training. He got the hang of weeing in a potty quickly, but he does not like the sensation of pooing in the toilet. Because of this, he started withholding his stools until his nighttime pull-ups were on, and he is now struggling to open his bowels even with his pull-ups. He is straining, it's painful, and as a result, he's withholding more. Examination revealed some palpable faecal loading, but was otherwise unremarkable. So what would you do next? Do you advise his parents to increase his fluids and encourage him to eat more fruit and veg? Do you prescribe laxatives? And if so, what are you prescribing? And if you do prescribe, but two weeks later, Charlie and his parents come back to tell you that they've had to stop the laxatives because he was soiling himself frequently, what would you advise then? So these are some of the questions that I'll try and answer through this podcast. So a little bit of background information to start. Constipation is often defined as the passage of less than three stools per week, but this can vary and some exclusively breastfed infants may pass stool less frequently. Constipation is really very common and is thought to affect around one in 10 children worldwide. Younger children are more frequently affected And it is particularly common around times of weaning, toilet training and starting school. So when discussing constipation with families, it is therefore worth exploring any changes in diet, use of a potty and changes in education. Constipation is usually idiopathic. And in addition to infrequent hard stools, a thorough history may also reveal straining, anal pain, and a reduced appetite and abdominal distension that improve with defecation. It is worth inquiring about urinary symptoms as well, as constipation can put pressure on the bladder, leading to increased urinary tract infections and nocturnal enuresis. And paradoxically, constipation can also present with frequent stools more than three times a day due to soiling and overflow. More concerning signs and symptoms that may indicate an underlying diagnosis include issues from birth, a delay of more than 48 hours in passing meconium, and stringy ribbon stools, and these are possible features of Hirschsprung's disease. Other worrying features include persistent blood in the stools, 
abdominal distension with vomiting, abnormal appearance of the anus, any neurodevelopmental delay or abnormalities of the spine or lower limbs. Faltering growth is also always a concern and requires further investigation to elicit an underlying cause. Investigation is not required for idiopathic constipation, so we don't need to be doing any abdominal x-rays or ultrasounds in primary care. But in the presence of any red flags or concerning features, children should be referred for investigation and management. So instead of investigating, what should we be doing? Well, in a case like Charlie's, where there are no red flags and idiopathic constipation is rightly considered, the most important initial tasks are showing understanding and providing a good explanation of constipation. Constipation is distressing for all involved. It can have a huge impact on families and can cause a lot of conflict. And acknowledging this can help smooth the path to recovery. It is really helpful if families and the child, if they're old enough, understand what they're dealing with. So explain constipation. Explain that in the large bowel, water is absorbed and poo moves along the large bowel when the gut muscles squeeze. When it gets to the rectum, the rectum stretches and sends a message to the brain saying that we need a poo. If we don't go, then the old poo becomes hard and stuck. This can stretch the bowel and make it squeeze less effectively. If the bowel remains stretched, then it doesn't send new messages saying that we need a poo. Explain that new poo arriving in the rectum, which is softer, can leak around the edges and that this leakage can get into underwear and cause accidents and that some children may not realise this is happening because all the old poo that is stretching their bowel stops them feeling like they need the toilet. Explain that this can make it easy to believe that the child has diarrhoea when really they are still constipated. Good explanations can help to prevent the child being blamed or reprimanded, neither of which are helpful behaviours for the child's recovery. Instead, we should encourage positive reinforcements and reward systems like star charts can be helpful to establish regular positive toileting behaviours. So children get rewards not just for achievements, i.e. for doing a poo in the toilet, but also for regularly sitting on the toilet and pushing. Children should be encouraged to sit on the toilet half an hour after meals and before bed. They should sit on an appropriately sized seat with their feet flat and supported and with their knees above their hips. They need to try and relax. So reading, playing games, getting them to blow bubbles can all help. It's also important to explain that accidents may well occur as accepting this can help parents deal with these in a relaxed manner. So, moving on to think about treatments. In the past, I've often favoured a natural approach, discussing dietary modification and increasing fluid intake, and maybe being a little reticent about prescribing laxatives. But is this really the right approach? Well, the guideline from NICE is clear that dietary interventions alone are unlikely to be effective. We can recommend a balanced fibrous diet and increased fluids, but this advice should be given in addition to laxatives. Laxatives are safe, they work, and early intervention with effective doses can prevent problems with chronicity, withholding behaviours, 
overstretched boughs with decreased motility and overflow soiling. Macrogols are the first line treatments and these are osmotic laxatives. So explain to parents that they increase water in the bowel, making the poo softer and easier to pass. Alternative osmotic laxatives such as lactulose are sometimes preferred and this is because they're very sweet and a smaller volume is required. And so these can be considered if the macrogols are not tolerated. If treatment is not effective with osmotic laxatives, then a stimulant laxative such as senna can be used. These can either be used as an alternative to osmotic laxatives or in addition to osmotic laxatives. Now, I'm reliably informed that liquid senna is pretty revolting, so it's worth considering tablets for those able to swallow them safely. But be aware that the tablet form of senna is off-label below the age of six. The doses of macrogols, lactulose and senna are very clearly documented in the BNF by age. Now, when you are looking up doses in the BNF, you will see that the dose varies depending on whether we are considering disimpaction or maintenance treatment. So which dose should we be using? Well, disimpaction treatment should be considered for children who have not effectively opened their bowels for seven days. You may find palpable stool on abdominal examination, but the absence of this finding doesn't rule out impaction. And if the child has not had an effective bowel movement for a week, then we should consider the disimpaction regime. So essentially for disimpaction, we're looking at rapidly increasing doses of a macrogol laxative or an alternative osmotic laxative if the macrogols are not tolerated until disimpaction has occurred. The dose increases every one to two days until the maximum dose by age is reached. Stimulant laxatives such as Senna can be added if there isn't a satisfactory resolution after two weeks of macrogol treatment. Now, stimulant laxatives can cause abdominal cramps. Hopefully, after two weeks of macrogols, the stool is softer and this will minimise pain. But it is worth warning families of the possibility and advising paracetamol if cramping occurs. Parents need to understand that enough laxatives need to be given to clear the backlog of poo. Standard doses of laxatives may soften the stool, but are unlikely to stimulate the bowel sufficiently to encourage it to empty completely. And this could mean that soiling gets worse rather than better. The dosing regime in the BNF is a seven-day regime, but disimpaction may take more or less time, just depending on how much stool needs to be cleared. Disimpaction has occurred once the child is passing watery poo, and this really does mean brown water with bits in it. It is sensible to warn parents to expect a lot of poo, and to be prepared for this with plenty of nappies, wipes or soft toilet paper. It's also worth warning parents that overflow and soiling can get worse with disimpaction before it gets better. And this is because the laxatives are softening the poo before helping the bowel to evacuate it. Regular follow-up can help alleviate parental anxiety and ensure that treatment is satisfactory. So follow up any child undergoing disimpaction within a week. Now, I've also been in the past guilty of giving up on laxatives too soon. 
Parents may struggle as they feel that the laxatives are causing diarrhoea, there's conflict when trying to administer them, or they felt that the problem had resolved and therefore they stopped too soon. These are all common reasons for laxatives being seen to have failed. But with good advice and support, their continued use can be encouraged and a longer term cure achieved. As soon as the child is disimpacted, so brown watery poos have been seen at least twice, the disimpaction regime can stop and maintenance treatment should start. It can be difficult to decide what maintenance dose to start on, and I found an excellent rule of thumb on the ERIC website, suggesting that if the child needed the maximum dose of disimpaction treatment, then start with the maximum maintenance treatment for the age of that child. If they only needed half the disimpaction schedule, then start with a dose midway in the maintenance treatment range. It is probably worth erring on the side of prescribing a little too much rather than too little to try to avoid the child becoming constipated again and having to do a further disimpaction. The maintenance treatment can be adjusted so that the child is having one form stool a day. But it can take a while for the bowel to settle down after disimpaction and so stick with the same dose for the first week. If the child is on one sachet and this seems too much, then encourage a reduction to half a sachet a day rather than one sachet on alternate days. And importantly, maintenance treatment should not be stopped too soon. The bowel needs time to recover and regain its tone So maintenance treatment needs to be continued for at least as long as the child was constipated for. So maintenance treatment may continue for several months and some children require long-term laxative treatment to prevent relapse and chronicity. While the bowel is regaining its tone, the child may not get reliable signals that they need to poo. So maintaining regular toilet trips and toileting behaviours is important. They might not pass a stall on all visits, so ongoing use of reward charts can help adherence. It can be helpful for families to keep a poo diary. And again, there's a really good one on the ERIC website, and I'll put a link to this in the show notes. As this can help make sure that the child is achieving one soft stool a day and to allow a prompt adjustment of their dose of laxatives if not. And finally, when stopping maintenance treatment, It should be done gradually and weaned down rather than being stopped abruptly. Now, we all know that it can be a battle to get children to take medicines and particularly large quantities of laxatives. So here are a few tips that might help. Firstly, the sachets need to be mixed with the correct amount of water. So paediatric sachets should be mixed with at least 63 mils of water and adult sachets with at least 125 mils of water. Once the sachet has been mixed with water, that mixture can then be added to anything that the child likes, hot or cold, but it must be mixed with water first and the powder should not be added directly to other drinks. Some families find it helpful to mix the whole day's dose in advance and keep it in the fridge, and then add a little to any drink or suitable food throughout the day. This is a good technique, as long as it is all drunk within the day. 
And do note that Laxido will only last six hours after mixing, whereas Cosmocol and Movicol last up to 24 hours. Sometimes the flavoured products are preferred, so you could try these. The Macrogol mixture can be mixed with milk and added to cereal, used to make ice lollies if mixed with fruit juice, or even used to make jelly, so families can get quite creative with it. For formula-fed babies, it's sensible to mix with just enough prepared formula to flavour the macrogol in case the baby doesn't finish the whole feed. And for breastfed babies, it might be possible for mum to express enough to flavour the macrogol water. And actually for infants, the GP Infant Feeding Network has specific guidance regarding managing constipation in infants under one. And I'll put a link to this in the show notes. The final thing to be aware of with macrogols is that they are not absorbed. So the macrogol mixture cannot count towards the child's daily fluid intake. And they should be having six to eight cups of water in addition to the macrogol mixture. Now, I mentioned earlier that we should refer if there were red flags or concerning features. But are there other indications for referral? Well, the recommendations are that we should be considering a referral in children less than one year who are unresponsive to treatment after four weeks, those over a year who have not responded to appropriate treatment within three months, and any child who is unable to wean off laxatives after 12 months. Finally, I wanted to highlight some useful resources that can be helpful to us as clinicians but are also worth signposting our patients towards. The ERIC website that I've mentioned a couple of times has many useful resources, including an excellent leaflet on disimpaction and another on preparing macrogol laxatives. Bladder and Bowel UK has an equally good page on understanding childhood constipation. And lastly, as I mentioned earlier, the GP Infant Feeding Network has specific guidance regarding managing constipation in infants. Thank you for listening, and I hope that this has been helpful. Please feel free to get in touch via social media or email me at kchesterman at gpnotebook.com if you have any questions, comments or ideas for future topics. (laughs) 